please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is presented by the Space Camp Explorers Club, a new way to support the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and Space Camp. Members of the Space Camp Explorers Club gain exclusive access to content, behind-the-scenes stories, and members-only swag. To learn more, visit SpaceCampExplorersClub.org. Space Camp was not even started till I was uh, 30 years old. My first visit there was in 1996 as a guide for the New Jersey Teacher of the Year who was blind. It was like, oh, okay, you know a lot about space camp and you know a lot about blindness. I think you would be the one who would be able to act as his dog guide for the week. And I went and had the time of my life uh, with adults which I'd never had happened before. <laughs> and then in 2000, I took the opportunity to ask if I could work at Space Camp as a crew trainer for uh, the education program. Dan Oates is a Space Camp Hall of Fame member and retired teacher from the West Virginia School for the Blind. For 30 years, Dan has been helping thousands of visually impaired and blind students and teachers experience Space Camp during a program called SciViz, Space Camp for Interested Visually Impaired Students. In the past, he has served as education program manager for Space Camp and is currently the group coordinator for SciViz. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. in Romney, West Virginia, where the uh, West Virginia School for the Blind is located. My mom was the secretary, she started out as a teacher's aide at the school and then moved into the secretary for the superintendent. Uh, My uncle was a house parent there at the school for the deaf. So I had a lot of, um, a lot of connection with the school. Um, it was only two blocks from my house. It still is. I'm back in the same house where I grew up. <laughs> and uh, I terrorized that campus on my spider bike <laughs> as a kid and scared the blind kids and the deaf kids scared me. <laughs> so um, and my next door, my next door neighbors worked at the school. My other next door neighbors up here were blind. Uh, so I had just a lot of connection with the school uh, indirectly. And my mom kept trying to get me to please go there and work. It's a great place to work. You'll really enjoy it. And I said, Mom, it's just not something that I want to do. I'm sorry. I just don't have any desire to be there. So I went to college, got my degree in recreational management, came back, got a job. Uh, Mom died. Dad got sick. I had to come home, take care of Dad. Next thing I knew, I got called and I was working at the subst- as a substitute at the School for the Blind teaching chair caning, which is something I learned when I was in the recreation department um, in my first job. So I took that and uh, went up to the school and te- taught some chair caning to blind children. 
for a while and it was only a three month job. I liked it. I liked the kids. I really surprised myself. And the principal called me into his office and said, would you be willing to go get your master's uh, in teaching the visually impaired and an orientation and mobility specialist uh, if we paid for it? And I said, where do I sign? <laughs> I got my master's from University of Pittsburgh. Okay. And that uh, was, was uh, 49 hours in uh, 14 months. Wow. Total, total immersion. Did you teach there when you went back after your master's? I was the orientation and mobility instructor for the school for the first 13 years and got very much involved in low vision therapy as well, helping children see through magnification and software what they couldn't see normally. And that lasted 13 years. And then at that point, I applied for a job in outreach and I worked in the outreach department for the next 17 years and uh, ran a program a statewide program for early intervention for blind babies and still still continue to work in the low vision field. How did you get involved with the the SIVIS program at Space Camp? The, the actually beginnings of it um, started, well, Space Camp started with Werner von Braun, the German rocket scientist, and a gentleman by the name of Ed Buckby. And uh, Ed was, is considered the founder, along with Werner Von Braun. And Ed grew up about three miles down the road from where I live here in Romney. <laughs> so he had a somewhat of a circuitous route to Huntsville and Redstone Arsenal, um, Mercury 7 astronaut program as a public relations person, and then ended up as the director of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and founded Space Camp with his daughters uh, on a weekend with some friends in the on cots in the uh, museum um, <laughs> so it was really so, just it was really just kind of like he had a sleepover at his work for his exactly, kids and their exactly. friends <laughs> and that's yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and so he would come up on weekends and I knew what he did and I would see him at family gatherings uh, funerals and that sort of thing and I said where are you gonna get black kids down there where are you gonna get black kids down there well, he finally got um, he finally got some deaf kids down there in 88, 1988. A letter came to him from a blind lady in Rhode Island wishing to come to space camp. She had called space camp and said, I'd like to enroll in the adult program. And they said, well, that's fine. And then she said, well, but I'm blind. And they said, well, that's not fine. We can't accept you. <laughs> well, 1988, 1990 was a lot different uh, a lot different time, and she was not very happy and wrote a letter to a congressman, her congressman in Rhode Island, and instead of throwing it away, he sent it to Ed Buckby, thinking that Space Camp was a NASA facility, which it is not. It's run by the state of Alabama. Right. And instead of Ed throwing it away, he called back home here to his old buddy at the uh, School for the Deaf and the Blind, who was the superintendent, and said, why don't you all try bringing some blind kids down? So on the, I was put on the committee due to my background in orientation and mobility and independent travel skills. I went as a chaperone that first year, pretty much the first, second, third year, and then I got into the outreach position, which put me in contact with other schools for the blind throughout the nation. 
So I asked if I could become more than just a chaperone and become a little bit more of the administrative part of getting the kids down, attracting other schools to come. And that's when the, the world sort of opened up to me and I ended up going to, uh, I've been to Ireland and Australia and New Zealand and Russia and you know all over the world promoting this program and getting kids in from international countries and more kids from the U.S. now. Train like an astronaut and get lost in space at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Exclusive family weekend programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle and is based on both the past and the future of space exploration. Pilot the space shuttle and attempt to land safely with the museum shuttle experience. Your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices, and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. The first time that you all brought the blind and visually impaired kids to space camp, what what was it like? In talking with Mr. Buckby, who, of course, was the one who promoted it to get it started at, at space camp, he didn't get a lot of uh, cooperation from his staff at first. They thought that he'd lost his mind. <laughs> and um, he told me that he says, now, Dan, this place is not designed for your kids. And I said, okay, and uh, it wasn't. I mean, it was not designed with anything in mind for accessibility. And, uh, but we took kids down and went through the program. We insisted on our space shuttle commander to be totally blind. They thought we were crazy. (laughs) Um, We had all the Braille materials already produced, large print. Uh, Technology was not what it is today, so we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have like electronic magnification, refreshable braille or any of that stuff. But um, they really sort of tore down all the barriers within about one day after they did their first mission. And they did such a good job. The whole staff just like, whoa, these kids can do better than what other kids do that come here. So after that, it became a whole lot easier. Still wasn't easy, but it became a whole lot easier. That's that's incredible. So you you relabel buttons, right? Can you kind of maybe tell us a little bit about the process of how you you orient, you know, someone with with visual impairment? Uh, when you go to space camp, the mission itself is what drives the whole program. All your training is about the mission. All your briefings are about the mission. So you get that background information. So you just don't walk into like a a room and say, oh, okay, I want to do this. So you've got to have a lot of background in what you're doing. And that's what all the briefings are about. Um, there's there's different venues. There's mission control. There's um, the uh, mission, well, yeah, mission control. There's the uh, space shuttle or whatever cockpit you're using. Nowadays, they're not, they're only using the space shuttle once, but they're using Mars landers and that sort of thing. Right. And then there's the space station. And so those three venues are all connected by headset and video. So all these kids on a team, which is about 16, are communicating back and forth, working together. In each venue, we have, uh, if we have uh, switches and buttons that the kids have to push, 
we have braille plexiglass overlays that adhere with Velcro to each panel. So all we have to do is just snap those on and it's braille accessible. It took us about 10 years, 15 years to get those designed and made. Before that, we had to go down and put uh, braille labels on everything. Um, then we have electronic magnification now. We work with an organization called Vespero, who provides us with the refreshable braille um, for the kids at Mission Control and in space stations. So the blind kids can, we can download whatever we need to those and the kids can go through it. We provide uh, orientation mobility for the kids that need it. I get a lot of chaperones who come who are mobility instructors, vision teachers, braillists, and they provide a lot of that. I do a training with the staff on how to work with blind people. And uh, we just sort of put it all together and it works. SciVis happens once a year. Correct. You basically take over space camp for uh, for a week. How many kids are served during the, the week of SciVis each year? Well, in the past, it's been upwards of 12, around 12, 14. This year, I think it's only going to be about eight. The space camp has different programs. They have programs for uh, elementary, middle school, and secondary. And they have space programs and they have aviation programs. So, and they have robotics programs now. So when you go, you have the opportunity as a child to select what you want to do. If you want to be an astronaut or you want to be a top, top gun fighter pilot. <laughs> so that's space camp, space academy, an advanced academy, or in the aviation side, Mach 1, Mach 2, Mach 3. And are all of those serving the blind and visually impaired during the same week, or do you do them at during, different times? Yes. yes, it's all the same week, all at one time. See, 2019, the last time we had a camp, we had 187 kids from 13 different countries in 24 states. So it's the largest um largest gathering of blind kids in the world for an academic purpose. Now, you, of course, you get into athletic events and right. that sort of stuff. That's completely different. But for academics, um, this is the largest. This year, we're about down to 84, I think. Right. Um, but, you know, we hope to get back up on the horse and make it bigger. The, the lower numbers is just because of uh, COVID safety concerns. That's correct. Right. How does a week of SciViz compare to a regular week at space camp? Well, we're, we're pretty particular about that. We want it to be as much as the same way that the normal camps are. We add a few things. We need a longer time for meals and medications because a lot of our kids, uh, they have other disabilities other than just being blind or visually impaired. So we take an hour for every meal, which means the kids can stop by and get their meds and then come to a meal or come to the meal and then go get their meds. So that takes more time, gives the kids more time to socialize. Um, we also insert a couple extra trainings of like when you go into a mission, you basically have a script, which is like a play. You know, it's the same thing. You say this at this time, then you're followed by someone else saying something. So it just rolls through that way. But a lot of our kids have never had the opportunity to do anything like that. They don't understand that they're reading something and then somebody else says something and then they have to go down three lines and wait 
to say something again, or they have to monitor the clock and say something at T minus eight minutes and 30 seconds. And then they don't speak again until T plus 10 minutes. Right. And so that's a, that's a concept that the kids have to get. So we do a, actually a script reading practice for the kids. So they get into the, the knowledge of how that all works. But other than that, we're, we're pretty much on schedule. We're pretty particular about that. You said they come in from a dozen different countries and 24 different states. Is all of that coordinated through space camp, like through, you know, the role that you used to have while you were there? Nope, nope. That's coordinated through the group coordinator, which is me. (laughs) So it is still you. (laughs) It is still me. But as a group leader, that's what you do. You collect all the money. You make all the arrangements. um, You make sure everybody's on the right page. They got all their forms filled out. Uh, and that's basically what you do. And, and it, as much as people like SciViz, it's the most favorite week at Space Camp for the employees. We are still a group. The West Virginia School for the Blind, do they fund for their students to go? Or is it is it just like kind of anything else, like plan to go on a field trip? You, you sell candy bars and raise money however you can and, and your, your folks help. How, how is it paid for? Well, you're right in all of those assumptions. Some schools pay for it. We write a grant here in West Virginia through the H.G. Tubert uh, Foundation that has funded us for 31 years now. Wow, that's amazing. They like the program because they only fund blind children in the state of West Virginia, and they think it's a very unique program and have been very supportive. Um, the kids in Australia, I heard, sell sausages on the, uh, in a mall outside <laughs> at a table to get enough money to come. And um, everybody just does their own little in a shtick to get there. Uh, Delta Gamma International Sorority has helped us for probably 25 years with partial scholarships. And Northrop Grumman Foundation is now uh, giving us um, money each year to bring uh, students from different parts of the country that they have headquarters in. So I think altogether this year, we had $86,000 worth of grants, uh, not counting the tuber grant, but um, we, at that point, are probably not going to use but about 40% of it because I can't get international kids this year because of COVID. I have Belgium and uh, Costa Rica are the only two that are coming. Uh, If you could talk a little bit about the language barrier. One of the things the kids have to have as prerequisite is to know English when they come. Uh, that that begins the process. And we've had kids in countries like Romania had their kids in English class for two years before they came. Okay. Just so they could converse. And it's really good for them once they get here to converse. And, you know, it's not long before they're teaching their kids Romanian and the, the <laughs> kids from Mexico are teaching our kids Spanish. And I mean, it's just really interesting. But uh, there's something new that started about 10 years ago. It's called the UEB. It's called United English Braille. And so it's now the, um, the code that is used worldwide, United Braille Code. And so we, and we try to produce the materials in the old Braille format. And now we are working through those old formats and when we reproduce materials we are now doing them in the new format so as we get more materials in and space camp changes their materials uh, eventually we will become um, all ueb 
So in the of course, the large prints just enlarged English text, and the kids can do that. And you know, we're real careful too. We have we have an extra form for registration um, that basically states. Uh, you know, what kind of a reader are you? Are you slow on a scale of one to five? The teacher or the parent fills it out. And then that way we're not like one of the, one of the um, positions that's really heavy in reading is the flight commander and the public relations officer. So we don't want to put a kid in there who re who's maybe 15 years old, who just lost his vision, can't see print, or can't read Braille because he hadn't had Braille long enough. Right. And so we'll find a position for him that doesn't allow as much reading and it's more active, like a space station uh, scientist who goes out and does a, a spacewalk, which all the kids want to do anyway. So <laughs> right. um, it's really it's really neat that uh, we, we have that option and we pay a lot of attention to that. Can you tell me any stories from doing SciViz about uh, some of the experiences that you or the kids have had? Well, my favorite one is I was standing there watching all the kids go into a meal one day and this little guy comes up to me and he's, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years old. And he goes, are you Mr. Oates? And I said, yes, I am. And he goes, I want to thank you for creating Planet Blind. <laughs> and I went, I just looked at him and I went, what? And he goes, planet blind. He says, yeah, this is a place. I mean, it was so profound for a young child. He says, this is a place I can come and not have to worry about people making fun of me, wondering why I'm blind, why I use a cane, why I might wear sunglasses, why my eyes jiggled, why my eyes look funny. All those things that blind kids have to deal with in public school, they don't have to deal with there because everybody's on the same page. And it's just, I, I did not anticipate that as being an end product of, of what we did, but it is really relaxing. And I'll get kids that come, they'll start in the fourth grade and they'll come all the way through senior and high school. They'll come every year that week because it gives them that opportunity to mix with their peers. And uh, a lot of times kids, if they don't attend a school for the blind, which is only about 8% of the blind population in the United States, probably lower now, um, they don't get an opportunity to mix with their peers at all. They may be the token blind kid in the school, in the county, in the district, and uh, never meet another blind person for a while. Never meet an adult blind person. And we bring adult blind people in that work for NASA to talk to them too, because they don't have a role model. Jim Allen is our uh, the guy that handles that for us. He's from the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, and he's also in the Space Camp Hall of Fame. And he handles that, he connects with um, Dr. Craig Moore, who works at the uh, Marshall Space Flight Center who um, studies stars and, and he's totally blind and he has amazing technology that he uses to bring um, to get him through his daily job. I mean, that's just, and he started using technology when it came out, you know, in the late eighties. Uh, he started using that kind of technology to get through his job and continues to grow with it. And he comes in and talks to the kids about, you know, Hey, uh, you know, I went to high school and, 
uh, got along fine, went to college, got along fine, got my PhD, and you know, this is how I survived. And it, it's sort of interesting in the sense that while we sighted people stand back and think, oh, well, he does a great job, the kids out in the audience are, are sort of looking at it from a different standpoint. They're thinking more about, okay, this is a blind guy up here talking to us. So what, what is really, what's the real thing? And like one kid said, um, do you have any friends? And that was a, a question to Dr. Moore, hmm. because, you know, you can think that this kid is in a public school and he can't interact with anybody. Probably his teachers are the only person he interacts with. And, and Dr. Moore said, yeah, you know, I'm married. I've got two stepchildren. I, I'm in a bowling league. Um, I'm in a church choir. I've got friends at work. And, uh, you know, that's somewhat of the reassurance that a blind child needs at some point in their life. And then another kid asked, were your mom and dad mad at you when they found out you were blind? Oh, and that's heavy duty there. We all just we all just sort of sank when we heard that. And that comes from a kid who's you know sitting in the back room or upstairs in bed while his parents are arguing about their IEP or how why they, why they're having such a hard time getting this accomplished or why can't their kid do this? This kid's upstairs wondering, gosh, they must be really mad at me. And you know, Doctor Moore handles those. He volleys those right back to the kids, and it's such a good, 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 good connection that those kids make with him. Which is aside from space and math, you know, I don't think our kids are so much focused on the math and science and the nerding out on that. I think they're more focused on the social aspect of just coming and hanging out with the other blind kids because it's such a rare, rare thing these days that kids just don't get that opportunity. And, I, and that's like our, our mantra now I think is that we're more involved with that now we've had kids go on and get PhDs we have a kid that graduated from Australia who's an astronomer um, I mean we've got our success stories in the field of math and science but um, we had a couple of Paralympians just got finished over in uh, Tokyo that came to Sabiz and we had our, our first blind Hall of Fame member in uh, 2019 Experience Dare to Explore Milestones to Mars, the all-new exhibit sponsored by Lockheed Martin at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Dare to Explore Milestones to Mars takes visitors on a six-decade journey of space exploration and looks at the innovation that has prepared humans to land on the moon and go beyond. Especially designed for young visitors with school groups and families, this exhibit includes interactive displays and activities that demonstrate how we will live and work in space. This experience is included with your U.S. Space and Rocket Center general admissions. Visit rocketcenter.com for tickets today. Did you ever think about being an astronaut and going to space? No. No. I was a, <laughs> I was a, I was a space geek. I mean, I, I watched, I sat right here on my own living room floor when I was 17 years old and watched the, watched the moon landing. And, you know, I can remember all of those all of those things in my life as it came and went. I remember the, the Challenger accident and how sad that was. And um, got to know Grace Corrigan at Space Camp when I, uh, Chris McCall's mom, she became a good friend of mine. 
So I have both connections from back when I was a kid and all my space camp experiences. No, I really don't think I would, but if I did, I would like to go through it with someone who was uh, had a physical disability, has been blindness or deafness, that they would be interested in sending to space and not me. <laughs> because I think that's more important to knock that barrier down and get an old West Virginia corn cob up in space. If a kid's got a dream, he needs to pursue it. Uh, for some kids who are you know, blind and visually impaired, the road's gonna be a little rougher. Um, I used to tell my kids when they'd come into class, one of our teachers was famous for saying, I'm having a bad day. And my kids would walk into my class for independent travel skills and say, oh, I'm having a bad day. And I said, not allowed. You can't have a bad day. <laughs> you have a bad day. You may even get run over by a car. If your teacher has a bad day in the classroom, they may drop a book, they may stumble over a desk, but you have to sort of, you have a higher standard of which you have to go by and it's gonna be harder for you. And life isn't fair all the time, but if you have a dream, then you just need to pursue it. Um, you need to stay at it. And there's a ton of people out there that'll help you. Uh, we've all had, I think those challenges in our lives at one one point or another, but uh, for someone who's blind or visually impaired, it can be a bit more daunting. The American Foundation for the Blind, the uh, National Federation of the Blind, there's all sorts of organizations out there. Every state has a, a vocational rehab program. There's just all sorts of people out there willing to help you if you're willing to accept the help. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars I'm gonna dare to explore this time And I'll let you know